Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills, here with Zell and Heidi, Adam Coons, Aaron Uphoff, and David Bukes. Got a full roster tonight almost, so you know what that means. It's time for another conclave where we take listener questions. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Doing well, Willie. I think this will be a good time. Things are going well up here in North Dakota, as always, and not nearly as warm as other parts of the country, but then again, winter lasts, you know, eight to nine months out of the year. So that's that's how it is up here in the tundra. What about, what about you? Oh, just, just windy, but rather springy. It's very nice. Uh, Adam, how about you? How are things in lovely Fort Wayne? How gray are they? Uh, they were not gray today, but they have been generally gray. So, you know, lots of metrics of human misery have been uh, spiking recently, as we say. So, you know, that's the way it goes, man. <laughs> right. Aaron, how about you? Doing good. Uh, since I was on the show last, I took a call back to the prairies of Illinois, and I'm now in the lovely town of Watsika near the Indiana border. So weather posting between me, Willie, and Adam is going to be about the same. It is gray and rainy here today. Very good. And David, how are things up in uh, your neck of the woods? They're, they are wonderful. You know, we got the, the thaw is fully underway. We got the plants started indoors. The uh, chickens are out, you know, rooting around in the dirt, finding all kinds of good stuff. It's a, it's a really awesome time of year here in Minnesota. Outstanding. Great to hear. Well, thanks, guys. Glad to have you on. Conclaves are always a good time. Before we get into the questions, though, we do want to say that this episode is dedicated to G. Gordon Liddy, great American who passed away today, the day we are recording. So we we want to remember him. uh, And we also want to remind you that in life, friends are important and make sure you have friends like G. Gordon Liddy, no matter what you do. So (laughs) somebody's going to write a confused letter now. (laughs) <laughs> that's probably gonna be me I don't know. <laughs> right. well all right well folks we got a lot of questions and we're not going to be able to get all of them in the hour so we'll revisit them some of the questions are really going to require almost full episodes so we might not exhaustively deal with a lot of them we just plain won't get to some of them so first up we'll start with this one a listener wants to know uh, the history of the word fitly spoken were we seminary classmates what prompted us to start this program? And several hosts are not lifelong LCMS. How did we come upon such a wealth of LCMS history? So let's take these all in turn. First one, were we all SIM classmates? Uh, four of us were. Or... Okay, Aaron, let's not get. Yes, we all were at the seminary together, but in different okay. classes. <laughs> My yes. goodness. There was let's overlap, yes. yes. <laughs> <Right>. Technically. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't sit together in. <laughs> This class, does it count? I was in a different lunch group from the rest of you guys. <laughs> we did e-learning on different days of the week. Oh, wait, That's no. right. Our bus, my bus came on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and their bus came on Mondays <laughs> and Fridays, and Wednesday was a Zoom day. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I mean, to make a long story short, yes, uh, we are not. We did not all graduate in the same class, although most of these guys did. The great Buffalo himself, Zell and Heidi, he actually stuck around to do his STM. Right. And I would add that, that Reverend Heidi uh, finished that all in a year. Yes. Knocked it out. Many, many are still working on it decades later, but Zell got done. Right. The STM becomes like the quest for the Holy Grail for some, not for Zell. 
<laughs> you just take that grail for yourself. That's what you got to do, family. That's right. You got to go in there. He went in and he was like, wood. He was a carpenter. Boom. STM. Done. <laughs> Zellman, I can't remember. What was your thesis? I talked about uh, pietism and uh, Philip Jakob Spainer and his catechisms and comparing it with some other ones. Something that we'll probably get to one of these days, but... Hmm. It was just basically dealing with uh, early German pietism in general. Yeah. And and folks, don't worry. Pietism episode is coming down the pike someday. Zellman just has to talk me into doing it. So. <laughs> All right. So, th- so the next question there, what prompted you to start this program? Masochism. <laughs> right. I was going to say sadism, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... We, I guess we, we wanted to get something out there to just you know, be able to, I don't know, get our voices out there. Just kind of, I don't know, how, how would you guys describe it? I mean, well, we can't reveal too much of the method, lest, lest some of the magic be lost. Right. Uh, so, but, but to certainly give, especially with historical subjects, a detailed and a fair comparison, as fair as can be, to take the long way around subjects, to do our best to not speak in platitudes or cliches. And to teach the faith, especially history, in a, uh, in a way that people perhaps haven't heard before. We don't mean that as far as, um, you know, teaching novel things. That's not necessarily what we're doing here. Uh, we mean um, explaining in a way where people can understand it, especially especially people new to it. And especially with the historical side of it, where in the 19th century uh, Lutheran field of studies, we are kind of breaking new ground here. We're or at least rediscovering people that and names that have long since been forgotten. So reminding us of our of our shared history there. There's the murky origins of Word Fitly, but once the podcast got going, she found her voice pretty quick, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'd say that like those first few episodes when we were still trying to figure out what we were doing, you know, that was. I mean that that was fine. I mean, we st- you can still go back and listen to those, but I think we did find a kind of tone that we set pretty early on especially like I'd say around the time of the Gerberding episodes. And we've kind of kept it up since. No, we always keep it spicy. And really what he means is I was too cheap to buy a good microphone in those early days. (laughs) Well, I brought you over to to the the light side of of things. So that's right. Little known fact, Willie recorded the first episodes on a potato. This is true. (laughs) And and if you know how I feel about the Irish, that would really surprise you. (laughs) All right. So, and several hosts, not lifelong LCMS, how did we come upon such a wealth of LCMS history? And that's a very nice way to put it, uh, OP. We appreciate that. So how would we answer that one, guys? Just digging into primary sources, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think mean, that's I think that's it. Um, you know, you've got, you know, you guys and, you know, Adam, especially and uh, others who, you know, we we want to go back to the sources and that's really what you do. And that takes that takes the digging. A lot of our history is just kind of a broad overview, sort of filtered through a few triumphs, and you lose the details there. And the fun of this is really found in the details, and really the inspiration and motivation is found in the details. Real men going through real struggles, preaching the real gospel to real people is what you find in living history. And so you sort of sift through the myths, but myth isn't a bad word, and perhaps we're making new myths and a mythology that we need to, to latch on to. And that is that our 19th century uh, pioneers really are people to look back to and to not ignore and to rediscover. Hmm. 
Yeah, because I would say that, you know, the, the secondary sources, you know, the, the history books and that sort of thing, they're useful in their own right, but they should really only be the starting point for getting into some of this stuff. You know, you dig back into the actual diaries, the actual journals, the actual papers, and then you'll find that the, that magic, like you say, Willie, that, that really drives uh, the what makes history so engaging. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. If you could sum up word fitly, I think it'd be like, rather than read books about theology, read theology, rather than read books about the Bible, read the Bible. So sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think, I, th- I think as in the study of history, th- there's also something that we've tried to emphasize from Gerberding onward, which is the primacy of actions over words. And most people's understanding of Lutheran history is dominated by people who talked a lot or that is specifically wrote a lot. So people will know who Francis Pieper was, but not who any of the people were that caused the LCMS to grow enormously over Pieper's lifetime when Pieper is writing and talking a lot, but not himself planting congregations. Adam, can you can you say why that pri- you know that priority is given to words over actions? What, where does that come from? Yeah, I mean this is kind of a this is kind of a complex thing because it's actually it applies to so many realms of church life and also pertains to the connections that we have tried to draw in terms of ideas between the Tennessee Synod and everything that came after it where the notion of the spirit of antichrist in the church is not a question about organization or the city state of Rome. I think in terms of American Lutheranism, the spirit of antichrist is connected to an idolization of words over deeds. And therefore in historical terms, a knowledge of people who have said a lot rather than a knowledge of people who have accomplished much as if, Simultaneously, you know, similarly, a lot of people pay much more attention to, you know, they write an entire book on a specific chapter of Romans rather than being interested in, say, what Paul actually accomplished. (laughs) And I think that people do a very similar thing with their own history and know a lot more about somebody who wrote a book than the guy that started the congregation of which they're now a member or a pastor. Yeah, I mean, because you, you get you get the accounts of some of these guys, I, I'd say like up here in like the Dakotas, because they're the ones I'm most familiar with, coming out of Minnesota and pastoring, you know, like what, 10, 15 preaching stations. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive when you think about the, the deeds that it took to actually establish Lutheranism up here on the, the high plains, at least. I mean, and I'm sure that's true just about anywhere. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, I, I you know, there. Like Adam said, this is kind of a complicated thing because we can go back to Gerberding again and and his discussion of who was the typical person that went to seminary to become a pastor. And he is actually using this in a, it's kind of a negative connotation to it. But there is a temptation, I think, for pastors to think of themselves as academics or solely as academics, as white collar, no pun intended, and other than Facebook posts where they're trying to glamorize the the grittier parts of the pastoral office, they're really not that into it. Deep down for many, there is this urge to to have this sort of armchair uh, theologian type of life, professional theologian, as it were. And when it comes to things like that, the temptation is this. Well, 
I can write this book and my name will live on because of it. Or more petty, I can write this book and I'll get some measure of notoriety from it now. It is really, for some today, wanting to store up your treasures on earth. And that's not what Peeper did. That's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. But as as the pastor goes forward, it would be good for him to realize that he should eschew celebrity and worldly fame, knowing that God is going to place some of these pioneer pastors well ahead of many of the famous theologians when it, in the kingdom of God, because God looks down and, and sees what they did, and the world doesn't recognize it. Yeah, I think there's an interesting parallel to sort of a defective way of thinking about the the purpose uh, and goals of, you know, goals of life just generally, that posterity is ultimately bound up in the people you leave behind, not, yeah. you know, yeah. like not in the career that you set for yourself well, or the yeah. things you accomplish, but the people who follow after you. Right. And not only your own children, but your spiritual children. Yeah, that God exactly. gives you. Yeah. Very good stuff. All right, guys, any, anything else to say on that? All right. Next question is a good one. So I'm going to try to kind of condense this one a little bit. So, for example, what was taboo in the 80s is now openly accepted in the present day. So morality has been kind of shifting. It's basically, you know, what does conservatism actually conserve, right? The conservatism of today is was the liberalism of 10 years ago. It's that kind of thing. Well, what can be done in our homes, churches, and schools to stem this tide? How can we not be carried along or carried adrift by these kinds, this kind of philosophy? This, I mean, the, the question is so enormous because it, in a simple sense, is easily answered because it means that you have to cut yourself off from the general flow. But right. the way by which that happens is what is enormously complicated because if you look at the entire story of just the LCMS specifically, it has been a story about how and to what extent we can be normal. And in order to get away from a general flow to get your own dynamics, which would be at least easier to understand, not necessarily easier to control, but simply to understand, you would have to say, it's okay, we're going to be weird, and that's fine. And it's going to have actual effects on our incomes or where we live or something. But we're okay with that. Until you do that, you're going to keep drifting because you need all the kinds of validation that being normal offers. And we're set up to be normal at this point in history. That, that often goes hand in hand with one thing that's really difficult. And that is to look back and say, we should have stopped going mm. with the flow at some point in the past yeah. and missed, right. you know, missed an opportunity to do that. And that, I mean, right. I think that, that that sort of inertia is, is really hard to overcome but it, and it just points out that you know like this is not the point the moment right now is not where the two tracks diverge we're actually jumping we're skipping tracks and that's right. that's hard work you know um nations can be uh, like individuals in this way that both can repent and that you know as far as we're concerned <laughs> before death we're not beyond repentance we can be turned and so as the individual sometimes says well i'm so wicked should I even bother with this? No, he can, he can, he can repent. He can turn into Christ and, and so can societies and nations. And so we as a church can look to that and think, okay, can we repent? Can we repent as a church and say, we should not have allowed this in what we've opened the door to, to can we now 
push it out the door and reject it. And I don't think that we're beyond that. There's a point, of course, biblically, where people become hardened to a point, but I don't know what that point is. You know, for each and every individual, uh, that's up to God and up to, and up to the sinner. But you know, we, we should we should say that we do have it within us to, as Christians, with the Holy Spirit, to to turn from these things and to make this positive change. But it will hurt, and it's not. And I don't think it's going to be something like pulling off a band aid either, right? It's going to be a little more severe than that for some people. But we have to be willing to do that, and that means being willing to reject the world and whatever that happens to mean for us. I, I think it's telling that the early Christians, when they were faced with the paganism and the, the immorality of their culture, very often withdrew in such radical ways that they were very often accused of being like you know, enemies of the human race, of being totally antisocial, you know, that they, they withdrew from going to things even like the, the, the theater or even going to like the, the circus, you know, the, the races or whatever, because they saw paganism wrapped up in these things. And that made them very unpopular for quite a while with their surrounding neighbors. And I think we have to be willing to embrace that level of weirdness. I'm not saying that we all need to like bust our TVs or something like that. I mean, that might, whatever, whatever that comes down to for you individually, but we have to be willing to embrace that weirdness, that differentness to such a point that we'd be willing to pay whatever cost it took to remain faithful to the gospel. Right. And what is it that we're afraid of losing in this scenario? Is it some kind of respect? I mean, it's it's amazing how much of it comes down to just wanting to appear cool. And, and maybe that's a natural human inclination that people need to learn to overcome. But to look at the world and say, I don't care what you think. I don't need your approval. I don't want to be your friend. I don't, I don't need your friendship. I need Jesus Christ. Okay. And I need everything that he gives me. But beyond that, I don't need what you have to offer. And whatever that means, whatever that looks like, uh, you know, depending on what, you know, situation, we haven't used too many concrete examples here. Um, but just being, yeah, like we say, embrace weirdness. I mean, embrace, which is another way of saying embrace a Christianity that is contrary to the world. You know, have a religion, have the true religion in a world that hates you. And you know, you're doing right when they are lashing out at you and when they're calling you crazy and calling you irrational. That's not the worst thing in the world. We have caved in way too quickly because we really want worldly respect. And we just, we just don't need that. The, the church doesn't run on that. Guys, any other any other words on this subject? Aaron, you're being quiet over yeah, there. Yeah, well, I was thinking about uh, Adam preached a sermon at the chapel a week or two ago, and he sort of went after the Benedict option of withdrawing, like it's going to come for you wherever you are. And, you know, I think about well, that a I lot. Mean, it's like, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's Rod Dreyer who tells us about the Benedict option and then lives on Twitter. <laughs> and has an Apple iPhone. Yeah, I mean, right. No, I guess I'm just saying it's it, it's it's interesting trying to to walk that line, you know, where you are on the ground because you know, I just like for a concrete example, we don't have TV or the internet at home. No, but I have it at the office. Obviously, I'm using it here for this and it's not like I'm off Facebook or uh, you know, don't have a smartphone myself, but you know, just just sort of having this we're going to withdraw completely and and preserve our little Zion over here. I think, you know, <laughs> I'll defer to the historians on the call, but that seldom seems to play out the way that the people th think it will. I mean, our Zion on the Mississippi eventually became what we are today. So, right, and you know, Nauvoo didn't work out too well either. But 
That's for another episode we need to follow up on. But yeah, great discussion, guys. We're up to our first break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken right after this. But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills, here with Zell and Heidi, Adam Kuntz, David Bukes, and Aaron Uphoff. The Conclave has convened to answer your questions. Well, we tackled some fun stuff, even some heavy stuff in the in the second, or excuse me, in the first segment. And, you know, Zellwin, we, we neglected to gratuitous kaiju post at the outset, and that was, you know, said our boy Godzilla is in the fight of his <laughs> life right now. And it's basically, you know, whites and Asians versus whoever roots for King Kong. And, and so we've got to, you know, we've got to talk about that a little bit. Zelwyn um, insists that we, uh, that Gamera is the greatest of the giant monsters. And uh, it's really offensive, you know? <laughs> well, that's mostly just to get you going, Willie. Right. Gamera's a turtle, folks. Gamera's a giant turtle. Although those 90s movies were pretty good. At this point, Adam is looking for a clock tower or tall place to, <laughs> to climb to. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm Charlie Whitman or, or Angry Steelers fan, but, but some, somewhere on that spectrum is where I am. Yeah, but even Adam still loves that big fella. Okay. I, I, do, I, do, I do love him. I will, I will speak the memes as required. Thank you. There we go. The word fitly kaiju party, it's coming. <laughs> so we're not, you know, we're not even weebs. You know, that's the thing. But anyway, I don't want to get off on this. Don't have enough Allegedly, time. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually sitting here in a kimono right now with a with a, with a flea market katana. I got, I got all my katanas around me. <laughs> right. Willie has unironically said kawaii on multiple occasions. <laughs> Maybe instead of being Lutheranism's greatest Sicilian, I'm the greatest uh, Japanese. <laughs> no, but but in all seriousness, folks, anime is degenerate, and you need to quit watching it. <laughs> don't don't subject yourselves to that, people. All right, so uh, moving on just a little bit. Well, and in that same vein, uh, a listener wants to know. Um, I think I'm saying this correct. Bayorn in Lord of the Rings. How many liberties did Tolkien take with Zelwyn's life? <laughs> well, Bayorn actually was in The Hobbit, but it was, it was a few. It was a few. Well, good. Now we know. All right. Okay. So on to more uh, serious things. Uh, we'll move away from King Ghidra and others for now and uh, talk about this. 
Should Walther's Long Gospel still be used as a homiletics textbook by confessional Lutherans? This is one of my students uh, setting me up here, I'm sure, because uh, all your students, a, all your students are feds, man. They are, they are, and this is a perennial coffee hour question. So, well, then you we'll, answer it. We'll go for it, <laughs> Do- doctor. No, and it wasn't intended to be a homiletics textbook. It was intended to be an overarching idea about how to conduct a ministry to which law and gospel orients you because like in second Corinthians three and four, uh, it is a general description of what the, the purpose of the new Testament ministry is. It's a ministry of righteousness rather than of condemnation. Law and gospel is not a homiletics textbook. Walter actually has a homiletical text inside his pastoral theology where the way that you apply the word of God is not primarily through thinking, is this verse law or gospel, but through the fivefold use of scripture that Paul outlines in second Timothy three and, and Romans 15. Well, this indisputable take, honestly, and it became that of course. And then of course, law gospel as a, as a phrase got turned yeah. into something else entirely too. Well, but let me, let me ask this then, Adam, if, yeah. if author himself never actually intended this to be a homiletics textbook, how did yeah. it end up becoming one? All right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, um, it's like, now who's the fed Zellin? Yeah. yeah well. <laughs> I know, I know, but I mean, it's, it's an honest question because I mean, it's, right. it's often presented as such, like this is how we ought to be preaching. And so right. how do we, how do we go from A to B right. here? But the, I just I just want to explain that Zelwyn is a cryptid. Cryptids are demons. Demons are controlled <laughs> by alphabet soup agencies. That's the that's how this works. No lie um, detected. Okay, yeah, right. So Walther's Walther's students, the homiletical work that they produce is really only gets crystallized by Reinhold Pieper. And besides that. What happens afterward is that Missouri enters English. There are two early textbooks. Grabner produces one, and then John Fritz produces a preaching textbook. Those talk about law and gospel. It's not like law and gospel isn't something, but it, it's like I said, it's an overall orientation. What am I trying to achieve? I'm trying to inculcate faith. Faith lives from the gospel, etc. right? It's not a homiletical method. The way that it becomes a homiletical method is really distinctively through Richard Kemmerer, who uses law and gospel as a way to interpret the entirety of the Bible, such that, for example, you're going to end up doing stuff that Walther would never do. So if you have a, a text that's primarily exhortation, Kemmerer is going to run that through a sort of law gospel hermeneutic phrased as goal malady means that's how you think about it as a preacher and the gospel is always the answer to the law within that framework the goal may be you want people to pray more or you want them to believe christ is god or something that can vary but malady is always law and means is always gospel and so that's how you get there i mean i don't know exactly who first assigned walter as a preaching textbook especially as a sole preaching textbook but it was not intended to be. And when Walther's actual students were teaching preaching, they didn't use it as such. Well, and it's also worth noting that Walther didn't actually write it. It's transcriptions of lectures that he gave. 
which which brings kind of an interesting dynamic to it. It's closer to table talk in a way than than other things. It wasn't something that he set down and published, or assume he wrote out for the purposes of publication, which I think makes a difference here. Yeah, and so what, Adam, what you've presented is is how we end up with guys with Bibles marked up with, say, like a blue highlighter for law passages and a green highlighter for gospel or something like that. Yeah, it sounds like I'm making that up, but I'm not. Yeah, and and I and I also think that the the expansion of law and gospel to every topic of theology and a way of analyzing the way people are and and, and what you talk and and if it's law it's bad if it's gospel it's good yeah yeah that that is really a 20th century development and and Kemmer isn't the only person involved there but I do think that kind of pertinent to what we talked about about am I can I opt out of mainstream. Law and gospel will generally permit you to be as normal as the world wants you to be, because anything that would actually command you to live in a different way can somehow be dissolved by the gospel within this dynamic. (laughs) And so you end up just being the world, but with a really, you know, amazing sense of salvation by grace, allegedly. Exactly. Yeah, that's well said. Mm. Well said. Mm. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we've got more questions here to consider. Uh, there is a question on firearms posting that I'm not going to tackle tonight. Speaking uh, of feds, speaking so. of feds, <laughs> good question. Good question. And we want to answer it. We just have to find the right the right platform to do it. Yeah. You know, um, state and the ham radio. And by platform, I mean like a lower receiver. And, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, at like a at like a like a hastily arranged picnic table at a gun show. <laughs> Selling self-published works. Right. And, I, I sweep and, away the Third Reich paraphernalia to show you my platform. Yeah. Right. right. And, and to show you a nice vintage Winchester 73. There it is. You know, we got awesome. A, we got a Pacific Front M1 carbine to show you here. Um, all right. So, but we will get we will touch on similar subjects to that in the future, though. I mean, maybe not outright endorsement of brands, but maybe so. Who knows? <laughs> Okay, so a few questions here. How can we move towards reviving the Synodical Conference? Prayer and fasting. Prayer, fasting, and listening to Word Fitly Spoken. There it is. (laughs) I mean, we've had our our great Wells episodes. We've had our ELS episodes. Come on, guys. Who else is doing this? Um, And why do we do it? Because it's work worth doing. And we do it while it is yet day, before the night comes when no man can work. (laughs) So well, it's good, yeah. Um, how do we, you know, but that, but you know, on the practical level, how can we work towards reviving the synodical conference? It's interesting that you'll see things like um, occasionally a Wisconsin sitted person would be like, "I won't date this chick. I, she's she's LCMS. I'd rather date an ELCA person or something like that." Oof. Like, like I, and and from kind of an outside looking in sort of thing, that's a that's a level of hate I can't get it behind. I, I don't get it. I, mean, I don't understand it. <laughs> I was not bred into that, so I don't know. Um, so I do think that there are there are generations of personal animosity to overcome now that that maybe sort of existed at the time of the split, but have probably only gotten worse. At least that's my perception. But if we can sit down and talk about our shared history together, there's so much that can grow out of that. And And not just leave it at history, like, isn't it great what we did do? Can we say, hey, how can we come together? And isn't it great what we could do or what the Lord could do through us and have, and be very forward thinking? 
at least that's what my I'm sounding very post millennial right now, a little little optimistic. Um, but uh, I, that may be the key. But at the same time, really, the future of the Sonical Conference right now is in the hands of the of the bureaucrats, and not and not the podcasters and the posters of the world. Here's or the, is it Willie's black pilling for us tonight? Right. Well, I, I bring you high, then I bring you low. The, the point is, it'll probably come. It, it'll probably find its real start in lower levels and in discussions like what 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 we have here on the podcast and elsewhere. And it'll grow from there. I think a, a, a candor when we do have those things is is admitting where we were wrong, even though obviously none of us were alive or even close to being alive when the split happened in the late fifties and early sixties. But just an acknowledgement that that many of the concerns of the Wisconsin Synod and the ELS uh, were were actually very founded, and they proved themselves to be with the Missouri split of the seventies. So sure, I know yeah. it's more they, to it than just just that, but uh, I don't know. We were hanging out no, with bad crowds back then, right? I mean, that's a fair fair point. All right, guys. I'm going to jump down to another question. Should churches celebrate secular observances like Black History, Women's History, and so on? Now who's fed posting? <laughs> <laughs> like those ones specifically? <laughs> I I only celebrate uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. <laughs> and German American Day. All right. Listen, what we're going to say is no. And then somebody's going to say, well, Mother's Day is very special or something like that. It, I, I, on a day like Mother's Day or Father's Day, it's it's okay to include them in the prayers and things. I don't think building the whole service around any of these secular holidays is a great idea. It just sure. isn't. It's not a good idea, uh, you know. But when we can incorporate them, and like, and I'm really thinking of things like uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and even certain like American holidays. Like, if you you, you could make a case that you could mention Independence Day in the prayers and things like that, or pray for your veterans. Or your soldiers, which which are already kind of implicitly in the prayers when we pray for government anyway. But to have these special liturgies for these things is, is just beyond the pale. Um, we shouldn't be inventing new holy days like that. But I guess I would make a distinction between these kinds of holidays that you've been talking about, Will, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, whatever, you know, those kinds of ones. And the ones that you ex- that were explicitly asked about, like, you know, whatever history month. Well, yeah, to be fair, the question is about months. Well, yeah. I mean, that's basically adding a new season to the church. Uh mm-hmm. so <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And and listen, you're not going to be able to celebrate any of these without being accused of pandering. So don't give in to the crowds <laughs> that want to pressure you to do that because they're not going to like what you do at the end of the day anyway. Right. Just just stick to the calendar. Stick to the one year lectionary if you can. <laughs> Um, and maybe use TLH as much as possible. That's really the practical advice I have. Yeah. Did they celebrate it in the TLH years? If not, then don't do it. <laughs> Willie does not observe the baptism of our Lord. <laughs> well, I mean, it's but really with the, with these months, where where would it end? If you celebrate one, you're going to have to sell. And and what happens when two conflict? You know, what happens when you know one day <laughs> is the same day as the other? What do you do? And do you wear purple well, or red? well and then and then even if you want to put it that way it would come down to if you will observe this month why won't you observe this other month you know they'll accuse you of being particular and then they'll come after you for that so yeah you're not going to win it's just not worth it in the end so so i think we just read galatians concerning holy days and just go go with that 
<laughs> but just just don't bring as much of this in as as we can. And and remember that a lot of these months are very regionally specific. You know, Cashmere so, Pulaski Day. <laughs> well, that will be okay. All right. Anyway, good stuff, guys. Okay, more more questions coming up. Uh, how would WordFitly spoken? Oh, excuse me. Would WordFitly spoken consider self publishing any books? I'd like to hear something like WordFitly Guide to American Cults, Folklore, and the Hollow Earth. Our good listener Sam asking the great questions, and now I really want to make that book happen. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to say anything about publishing efforts, guys? Yeah, we are currently working on a series of translations from the old homiletical magazine about preaching, about how to preach generally, but also on specific topics or in specific ways. So that's currently in the works. Three of the guys on this call are involved in that translation effort. So that's one thing. We also have some translations from Reinhold Pieper that will be going up on the website you know, eventually that could see the light of day as a publication. Something that I think about a lot in connection with this is making both lost things like Gerberding's memoirs, for instance, available, but also fostering affordable theological books. Um, right. Because Every, there are so c- few. Costs will be kept as low as possible. Um, right. You know, we also have the effort like uh, the Walter A. Meyer sermon collection that is currently being digitized. I mean, it can't be put in print for certain reasons right now, but it will be available digitally for free. Um, And we're already, um, you know, into several seasons of that. But actual, uh, yeah, we are looking into actual, when we say publishing, these would be available, most likely in a print-on-demand situation. Right, yep. And then, uh, yeah, down the road, definitely, we'll be looking into publishing uh, Fortean subjects. Uh, like, uh, yeah, the hollow earth and folklore. No, in all seriousness, we, we might. We, we could actually do something like that to touch on some of those things. I think it would be good because if we don't write it, then all we have is Seraphim Rose, uh, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future. And we can write the Lutheran version of that, I think. So, <laughs> I mean, we know you, we know what episodes you guys like. We can see the stats. So, <laughs> yeah. And we, we don't, we don't want you to only get your ideas about the hollow earth from schizophrenics on Twitter. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. We want you to get it all from uh, confessional Lutheran guys on a certain podcast. That's right. Well, and maybe it, it's worth pointing out here too, since we're on this on this subject. I know this has been an email that's come through at least uh, several times. Actually, we are working on getting resources, a, a list of resources available on the website uh, that will be provided in the near future. I don't. We don't have an exact time frame on that. But do keep your eyes peeled for that. Keep checking the website, and we'll, we will be posting new content to that here in the in the future. So, absolutely. Uh, in the grand vein of uh, the grand tradition of, of guys like Walter Meyer, uh, reminding you that free resources are available. Remember those good old days. Um, <laughs> that's what we're aiming to do here. So, all right, guys, we've got a few more minutes here, so we can take a, a couple of questions. So. Uh, good starter books for a solid church library and solid home library. Don't everybody jump in. First of all, everybody's going to say the Bible. All right. <laughs> Got that one out of the way. Right. And then what else do you need? Right. Well, uh, obviously, Matthew Henry and Strong's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think a Bible dictionary. I like the Erdman's Bible dictionary. 
is I like very, the very old helpful. like Bible atlases that you used to be able to get too. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know something like that because um, those things are fun even for the kids to just open up and, and sort of go through. Right. You know you'll need you'll need good uh, books geared towards children, and there are actually good children's Bibles. You know this is a lot of this will probably end up in the resources page, Zelwyn. Now that we think about it, exactly. Yeah. Okay. A book of Concord. Which which book of Concord would you all recommend? Uh, Henkel book of Concord. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's the Grail. That's 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 really yeah, what we want to. Yeah, that's is. what we need to get back in print. You know it. Yeah. So the Henkel book of Concord. Please scour your used bookstores to find that and uh, put it in your libraries. David, Aaron, any suggestions? Psalms of David and yeah. Meter. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking a nice, like a daily devotional. There's the Book of Family Prayer by Adam. You know his name, the Laka. Yeah, it's just something that um, has has daily readings for the family. That's always a handy resource to have on hand. And I think anything we say here for a home library works just as well for a church library. Um, that way, your members can come and take take any of this any of these resources out that they need or want to look at before buying getting a little bit harder to amass these things because book prices are getting, I don't know. Book prices are sometimes higher, sometimes cheaper, but what's happening is the quality of books is so low today. Yeah. Right. And, and so if you really use them, they don't last well, but that's why we recommend Heidi book binding and repair of North Dakota. (laughs) When I have the time. Yes. That's right. And you know what? I also think the old arch, the older arch books are pretty good too. Nothing against the new ones, but the artwork and some other things about the older yeah. ones are just yeah. really good. The rhymes are better; they're longer. So yeah. if you're going to do arch books, I would start with the collections that CPH yeah. prints, and there and, th- and that really is a good value. Yeah. Um, although the binding may well give way. There it is. Uh, that's that's yep. been our ex- that's been our experience. Yeah. So. Yep. Same. But that's why we have Z. So. I have repaired them on more than one occasion. Yes. Right. So good stuff. So, and we'll come back to this, to this question. Cause there are just tons of books we could recommend. We just, there's just not enough hours in the day. So, all right. Well, we are at break number two. We'll be right back answering more questions after this. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The mission of Word Fitly Spoken is to put the Word of God at the center of all of life. To find out more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org. Welcome back. This is A Word Fitly Smoking. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi, Adam Koontz, Aaron Umphoff, and David Bukes taking listener questions. We've got a lot of good ones, folks. Sorry we can't get to all of them. Uh, some of them, like I said, we're going to have to tackle in future episodes because they need more time. But a couple of quick questions here. Uh, would we consider a, uh, a Word Fitly forum or Discord server, something other than Facebook as a platform for communicating? I think absolutely we should look into some sort of alternative there. It's only a matter of time. 
<laughs> before word fitly posting is uh is removed i would imagine uh so i think that's certainly something we can look into and if we do do a discord or something like that we'll certainly get that information out to everyone okay hobbies what kind of hobbies do you guys have uh reading the bible how's that sound oh boy <laughs> <laughs> Bukes is like get on my level. Yeah, Bukes is Bukes is breeding an army of super goats. Yeah, I like I like spending time with uh, with livestock. That's a real fun hobby of mine. It's good, it's very wholesome. Yeah, wholesome yeah. hobby. Lots of life lessons to be learned from watching the animals. I'll tell you that. True, uh, Aaron. What do you do? We have two kids and just doing stuff around the house and uh, playing with the kids. Uh, I have woodworking tools that I don't use as much as I'd like to, but. I do want to get more into woodworking. Uh, we've, after this move, we haven't done I haven't done much of anything apart from organize and unpack and get settled. So hopefully in 2021, in time for the next mask mandate in the fall, I'll be able to dive more into that. Good stuff. Uh, Adam? My life is intimately linked to uh, baseball on all levels currently. So baseball and baseball coaching is my hobby go. at this point. Yeah. Have you done any coaching before, Adam? How's how's that going? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I I mean, I my job is kind of full time youth ministry as it is. So this is just <laughs> uh, you know go ten go ten years younger, and uh, it's kind of it's all the same stuff. You got to encourage them, but also challenge them. It's it's kind of all the same thing. So <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, for liability purposes, I have no hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good stuff. Okay, moving on then. Let's see, we got a lot of stuff. Okay, uh, Westminster Standards. Great question, or I'm assuming you're asking about the Westminster Standards here. Uh, We'll probably tackle that in in a whole episode because the history behind it is is very fascinating. Um, (laughs) This this guy over here laughing. laughing. (sighs) Um, Here's a good question. How do we go from a church body that roundly rejected all insurance as sinful to one um, that uh, endorses insurance agencies now? Okay. The, the, the question of ra- the, the historical issue there is the rejection was never round. So when Walther writes against usury, the reason that that doesn't get passed as a doctrinal resolution is because his own laity don't agree with him on it. So, financial questions especially are never roundly rejected by the actual membership of the congregations. It's sort of more of a clerical opinion, let's say. Well, and, and that's in, in Missouri. I mean, we want to be clear here because Luther and Luther's time, much more (laughs) nuanced, we'll say uh, regarding usury and Luther's much more firmly against it. And the church is up until the Medici's and the Fugers, uh, which is something we've touched on a little bit uh, before here, but just a reminder that all usury was considered sinful until a German and some Italians started making a lot of money. <laughs> and, and so then things start to change. I don't know uh, in any w- other way to read the history other than that, 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 that the sheer financial influence that those individuals had changed the, 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 the Catholic church's view on usury. Uh, to be fair, I'm, I mean, not that I'm disagreeing with anything that you're saying, Willie, but isn't the question more specifically insurance? No, I, I, no, I a... am. But, well, Adam, well, Adam, sir, we went over to usury here. And, okay. and so that kicked, kicked me back a couple of centuries, just to mention that. 
but it is all tied up. I mean, the issue with insurance isn't the usury as much as it is the gam- what's perceived as gambling. And gambling's an issue because it's sort of perceived as, as lacking faith. When we're talking about insurance, because Adam is correct, the usury question is much more gray um, and very gray, especially post-Renaissance and other things. What, what do you do then with, with insurance being condemned? Would you say it's the same thing as usury as far as it's not around condemnation? Okay, so uh, there's kind of like a general sense, and it and it and it lives on as a like an urban legend that we're all against insurance. And I th- I think that the place to start is to understand that the clergy and the laity don't agree on financial matters from the first. Right. Th- this then gets carried into you know the question of like how things are funded, and especially how corporate synod is funded. And in the 1920s, when the laymen who begin the Lutheran Layman's League eff- effectively rescue corporate synods existence. A question that could still be up in the air in the 1920s gets settled de facto by the fact that we can't really exist as a modern church body or pay for the things for which we pay without people being engaged in the modern financial system. And so it's not the, the way just a strict answer to the question is the way it changes is that de facto nobody ever agreed. And then later de facto, everyone agreed we couldn't exist outside the modern financial system because to, to not be involved in insurance would entail massive amounts of mutual aid. And we never organized for mutual aid beyond really a congregational level. Yeah. We never had a relief society or anything like that. That, That's very, that's very well said. Now this is also compounded. So back to the usury question. Sorry, sorry, folks, but you know it went from you know having our own insurance agencies to having our own credit unions, things like that. And this is really a, a full episode's worth of content here. But we have to ask the question of: Is the modern financial system moral? That's one question. Two: How does a Christian work within it? Can we make righteous use of unrighteous mammon? And these are all very sensitive questions, in my opinion. All that said, our capitulation to modern to the modern markets has led to us rejecting any notion of usury being bad or, or, or any kind of... I mean, it's almost as if we believe that whatever makes the most profit, more or less, is right. And now people don't explicitly say that, although some would. That wouldn't be. And so now we have a church that lives in a society ran by a certain system. How does she function? Which is exactly what you're saying. I realize I'm just repeating you here. All that to say, uh, extremely interesting and complicated question. And probably nowhere near as simple as we want to make it as far as the uh, 19th century attitudes on certain things. Because whatever we say about insurance, we could also say about theater, dance, music as well. Because those are other examples of that where the clergy roundly condemned it, but the laity didn't necessarily. Right. And those walls pretty much always fall in practice in the Missouri yeah. Senate, at least over right. time. Yeah. Right. And if, whether right or wrong. Right. You know, all right, good stuff, guys. With all the talk of self-sufficiency and gardening, perhaps some word fitly recipes, best way to prepare various meats, uh, word fitly cuisine in short. Uh, what do you guys think about that? It's more of a suggestion, really. I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. Add to the list, uh, word fitly, meat curing and preservation. 
And word, and how about word fitly herbalism? Who wants to hear that? Let us know in the comments. Um, because it would be nice to do an episode on that as a corollary to the gardening episode. So, so curing of meats, perhaps canning. Do we want, David, do you want to do an episode with us on animal husbandry? We we got some things we could talk about. I'd, I'd be for that. Yeah. <laughs> would, would it be, could you keep it PG 13? <laughs> I mean, this is a family someone, podcast. Someone knows how animals. to bleep things, doesn't he? He can bleep stuff afterwards. Right? Sure. <laughs> okay. No, it would be good. Uh, also, an episode on on grilling, of course, the only appropriate means of cooking. Press F for David Oppold. Yeah, <laughs> David, very big on this, and I'm saying that for him. David Oppold was originally going to be on, but he ran out of AOL discs and couldn't join us. <laughs> All right, here's a good one. What is each of y'all's favorite part of the Book of Concord? Well, you would say that there is a right and a wrong answer to this question. There is always oh. a right or a wrong answer. <laughs> The Apostles' Creed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, McCain's notes. Um, Edition one of McCain. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, guys. The answer is clearly the formula. Then, then the question is: After the formula, what do you like the best? I like the large catechism. Um, yeah, I'm with Aaron. It's very I'm practical. Hmm. That's interesting. Interesting uh, answers. I, I don't know, guys. I'm not going there with you. The, the epitome. How's that sound? <laughs> <laughs> the epitome for your first years. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, uh, Adam, what do you, where do you come in on this? Uh, yeah. After the formula, it's the apology for me. Yeah. Oh, the apology. Very good. That is a very good one. Yeah. I'm going to go with Adam as my number two. I like long, complex arguments in clear language. So. Right. The thing with the large catechism is, especially when you're in the commandments, you like it feels like Luther wrote, like sat down and wrote on some of them when something was particularly annoying him that day. Oh wow, yeah, that's yeah. so unlike him, though. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's why it resonates with so many, you know. Well, I just like the the posting, you know. Yeah. Luther, I didn't Luther say any. Off. Obviously, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that at all, <laughs> um, or wrong in what he says. But you know, it's just. Fun, so good stuff. Uh, Zelwyn, did you chime in yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I commented kind of half-jokingly about the epitome. Um, I guess I, I do I do find pleasure in, say, the Augustana, if only because of its its brevity and its clarity as well. But, no, overall, I mean, there's there's a lot that can be had even, you know, out of the, the large catechism as well. So Right. Good stuff. Okay, we had another question about uh, historic beliefs in the church that many modern people don't believe. Those things we'll probably tackle in future episodes. Uh, there's also a mention of the Septuagint in that question, and that needs to be its own episode. I'm just going to remind everyone that the Septuagint is more ancient than the Masoretic text, and recent discoveries have shown that even non-diaspora Jews were apparently speaking Greek. So. So, you know, we, we kind of had this idea that only certain Jews at the time of Jesus were speaking Greek, but apparently it was more widespread than we thought. So if you can read between the lines there on the, the Septuagint, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, now, the other guys in here, they spend a lot of time studying the Hebrew, if you know what I mean. And uh, they, they do not agree with that. But, um, you know, if they want to take a swing, they can. I think that's best left for another episode. Right, because we can go on and on uh, forever forever on this so okay let's take a look here i know we've got some more here uh complete synopsis and review of robert duvall's the apostle i would do that i would do that 
Uh, can't do it here uh, with only a few minutes left, but uh, that'd be a fun movie to cover. Although we're not really the kind of podcast that covers movies, you know. There's there's other guys with uh, more piercings than us uh, who who do that sort of thing. Okay, guys, don't don't all jump in. Okay, let's take a look at a couple a uh, couple more here. Is "Living on a Prayer" the best song about marriage in the 20th century? Zelman, you've already answered this. You've already rebutted this. Would you care to uh, to answer that? <laughs> if if you're not you know listening to Randy Travis sing you know forever and ever, Amen, I I just don't know what I don't know what to tell you. I just I can't do it. So yeah, that should be uh, everybody's uh, wedding song. Everybody's every couple's song in general. If couples have songs. Um, there's a question here about why are we uh, basically why are we so concerned about Calvinists and or why do we see more concerned about Calvinists than neo pagans? Because only Calvinists pay attention to us on Twitter, and they have a bigger presence. Um, it is interesting the sheer number of actual Calvinists versus number of Lutherans <laughs> versus um, the influence Calvinists have versus the influence Lutherans have. Hmm. Real actual Calvinists are very small in number and they have a much bigger social footprint than any Lutheran. Truly. I mean, pick, pick one. And, and so I think that that is why a lot of our guys, other than the historical reasons tend to go after Calvinists more. Um, if I'm being serious here, Calvinists just have a disproportionate influence in conservative Christianity compared to the actual numbers of adherents. Yeah. I mean, 13% of Calvinists effectively teach <laughs> or do 50% teach. of the doctrine. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely well all right guys there are a number of questions here like i said won't be able to get to to all of them but the questions just keep getting better with each and every one of these and so we really do appreciate it and i'm sure they'll get even better once we get on uh, something like a discord or something like that so well with a few minutes left then uh let's talk about other than the publishing uh what subjects we might be tackling in the future that we haven't mentioned already uh zelwin I, I mean, I, I still want to get back to some more historical subjects. You know, I, I do need to pick up with the council posting again. There probably will be some pietist um, topics in the future that, you know, just kind of talk about the history of that. Uh, but one thing that I at least am much more interested in is dealing with some of the more recent philosophies that seem to be troubling people, you know, you know critical theories and that sort of thing. I do want to talk about those things and kind of approach them from, a, a Christian perspective. I just, that's going to take more time to prepare for that adequately. Good deal. Uh, we're also looking forward in the future to getting Aaron Uphoff back on for anything. Yeah. Very exclusive character. You guys are breaking up. I can't hear you. What? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so we've got some stuff uh, cooking with Adam too. Uh, Adam, you want to talk about some of the stuff we're looking at here? We'll be talking more about preaching and we have some examples in English, including uh, Lewis Wessel, whose stuff is all available for free online. In addition to that, we'll probably have some more uh, historical topics, American Lutheranism. Um, I'm always game for that. Right. Uh, we are going to tackle some supernatural stuff again. People like that. You know what, guys? UFOs back in the news again. We can either rerun the old UFO episode or revisit that topic again. I just want to be Art Bell is what I'm saying here. But no, but, but it is, it is very timely and I'm starting to see that swing again. You know, we talked about this in the witchcraft episodes. Uh, we're starting to see that swing back to the, to people being very interested in these kind of supernatural things again. You know, uh, America is becoming more superstitious once again. 
um, in more ways than one. So um, as the world continues to get a bit crazier and crazier, we're going to be tackling subjects that we need to. Uh, we try to be we try to be both historic and timely. So I think you're going to enjoy what we have coming coming down the pike. Well, guys, a couple minutes left. Any last word from the conclave before we adjourn? The, the thing here, folks, is we get awkward pauses because most everybody in here, is, uh, except for a couple of us, are Midwestern and very nice. And it's not that they have, they don't have words to say. They don't want to be impolite and talk over the other person. So <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with uh, Aaron. Last words before we go. Uh, it's great to talk to you guys again. Uh, always glad to be on the show. <laughs> All right. David, <laughs> same here. Am I am I interrupting? I, sorry. I... <laughs> All right, uh, Adam. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm sorry. I have no idea what's going on during kaiju posting. I don't even really know what the word means. Um, but thank you for having me, despite my Amishness. You're welcome. You're welcome, friend. <laughs> And Zelwyn. No, it's 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 been good. Uh, we had to cover a lot of ground on this one, and I know we were just mostly promising that we're going to cover it in future episodes, which is fine. Uh, I do think that there are a lot of good questions to consider. Uh, they've definitely given us given us a lot of good ideas, and we'll look we look forward to to dealing with them in the future. Absolutely, gentlemen. Thank you all so much. Yeah. This has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills, here with Zell and Heidi, Adam Koontz, Aaron Uphoff, and David Bukes. God love you, and God bless.